and welcome to Recu Perfection, a podcast for parents, teachers, and human beings. It's all about raising kids in an achievement-based society and embracing failure and imperfection with others and, of course, ourselves. For the kickoff episode, I had the amazing privilege of interviewing Megan Kaplan. Megan Kaplan is a veteran lifestyle writer, editor, and educator based in Minneapolis. She's the recent founder of The Wildling, a live storytelling project for middle schoolers. The Wildling's mission is to give young people the courage and confidence to share their truths, harness the power of their voices, and listen to each other with open hearts. Here's Megan. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. So, I wanted to ask you about your backstory. Um, I was curious what it was like for you growing up. Um, Did you have parents who were perfectionistic at all? Not at all. My parents were available emotionally, and I feel like that was the underpinning of my strength as a human being. But when it came to achievement and what are you going to do with your life, that wasn't a big theme in our family. And in fact, almost to a hysterical degree, Um, My siblings and I were pretty self-taught in most things. My parents didn't sign us up for a lot of extracurriculars. If we had an interest in something, they'd say, sure, okay. But they didn't hinge their egos on what we were going to do or be. They were just there as a support. And so there was definitely a phase of life where I thought, if you'd let me continue with tennis or try dance or whatever, maybe I'd have a little bit more you know, going for me on that end. And then on the flip side, I say, you know, they really gave me a lot of freedom and that freedom to move and to get bored and then find other things to feel, feel my creativity is really what makes me who I am today. And so, yeah, I, I never felt, I never felt that there was a perfectionistic angle in their parenting well and that's one thing that's so cool I feel like all kids are so naturally creative and any teacher or parent I feel like can kind of squash that creativity Mm -hmm. by becoming perfectionistic about it and making them attach their value to it or feel like oh now you have to achieve in this yeah Um, and making the kid kind of scared to create yeah so did you feel like um Did you have early creative passions? I did. I did. Definitely when it came to stories, um, the one thing we always had around, um, we always had a ton of books. And we were constantly going to the library. That was an imprint at an early age. We were always going to the public library. And my parents were reading to me from as as far back as I can remember. I was memorizing stories before I learned how to read. And it was one of those funny things, I told this recently. Um, My mom was not the sucker for the cool Target toys, like if I wanted the Barbie, this or that, or My Little Pony, the things that were popular in the 80s. Mm -hmm. But if I asked for a book, always. She would always get me the book. I can't remember one time I was denied. (laughs) I think I was probably reading a little advanced. you know, but that's okay because my curiosity for stories was that high. So, from like coming back to your point, um, I I had creative yearnings and they were very attached to expression around storytelling. 
and music. I enjoyed music, but I didn't have much. There wasn't a lot of push to achieve mm. in that arena. So I just would sing, sing to the neighbor kids. Yeah. They, they, they enrolled me in piano lessons, so I did. That's the one thing I, I stuck with the most as far as formal activities. I did have a piano teacher almost through high school or beginning of high school. And how were those lessons? Was the teacher very encouraging or were they pretty perfectionist? I think I fell in love with my first piano teacher and that's why I stuck with it. She Mm -hmm. was a like Mary Poppins type, like very delightful, allowed me to write my first song, which was fire called Fireworks. Oh, and I Katie was, Perry. I know, it was early Katy Perry in me. <laughs> I think I must have been six years old. And I, I remember her in that way, your six-year-old memory. Like, she was a big presence. Like, this beautiful, bubbly, blonde, joyful human being who just put the joy of a piano into me. And from there on out, I can't say that any of the teachers after that were really as captivating. Mm-hmm. But... We had a piano in the entry of our house, and because it was there, and because it was a language, I enjoyed sitting down and you know going at it a little bit. But I never, I got to the sonata level, which now when I look at that, I'm like, dang. But no, I never That's really. That's impressive. I, I, <laughs> I never, I couldn't stick, I, I didn't have an industriousness to me hmm. to really sit down and play yeah. those hours you need to play once you get to a certain level. So one thing that I am curious about, you said um, your mom wasn't necessarily inclined to buy you the Barbie or the Yeah. And that's one issue that I have with the way that especially girls are raised mm-hmm. now is to focus on appearances and, you know, all the toys that you see in Target in the little girls section yeah. is, you know, dress up and makeup and nails and princesses and like I feel the way that girls are socialized is so much about from the age of two or three you know to play dress up and to focus on how they look yeah and toys for young boys are more focused on um you know building things and Mm -hmm. moving objects and you know actually doing things Mm -hmm. and it makes me think about you know how can we parent um kids who feel that they have agency mm-hmm. and teach kids that they have agency which I know is one thing that you do mm-hmm. with the wildling is to give kids a voice mm-hmm. um, and that's so important but especially I think it's difficult for girls to feel like what they do mm-hmm. is more important than what they look like or they feel like they can't really do anything until mm-hmm. they look a certain way mm-hmm. and so I'm curious how you mm-hmm. deal with that with your own um, daughter, you have three daughters and one yeah, son. Yeah, three daughters right? and one son. And I feel like when you enter parenthood, you can't fully understand that these beings come out who they are. The <laughs> essence of who they are is who they are. You have some genetics in there, but you don't own them. Mm. And that has been humbling as a parent from the get-go. And Applying it back to what you're saying, um, you start out thinking, I did this very, oh, well, I'm going to give them all the options, you know, there won't be anything too gender specific, um, so that they have this open playing field. And it was pretty fascinating as a mom of girls to watch them inch towards the princess 
um, toy aisle and want to play dress up and want and gravitating in that direction. When they were real little, they were into that stuff. Mm -hmm. And it kind of made me laugh. I just sat back and watched like, well, you know, I don't know how much of this is just society coming in and how much of this is truly this femininity, this peace that happens to a lot of girls at that age. But I'm not going to squash their desires either. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to push it. I'm not going to expose them to all this gross pink puke stuff, but <laughs> I'm going to let them have some of it. Like, mm -hmm. if they want a tutu, here's your tutu. Wear it. Come to the grocery store. Um, but a flip, there was a switch flipped for sure for my girls when they were around five or six, and the sporty girl side came out in the spunkier, and when their brain could connect with logic and what does this mean and what do I want to attach identity to things did start to shift on their own honestly mm -hmm. into a more I think my expression is going to be more in this arena I'm, I'm not interested in pink and purple anymore almost a like goodbye goodbye to princess door shut yeah and that was for me more witnessing supporting and witnessing that happen well because I, I personally love wearing dresses yeah and makeup and I think it's fun it is fun um but it's interesting how I feel like parents have the ability to to encourage, to allow their kids, you know, to, to dress how they want and to, you know, have fun putting on makeup or nail polish, but also how do you give them the idea that what they do yeah. is more important? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, our number one word in our family is kindness. And so for me, the the main main value system that we run on is kindness mm. and kindness applies to yourself too and letting yourself kindness also is a way for you as a base to um, be kind to trying on different things and saying it's okay for me to feel really girly today and to put on a bunch of makeup and that's fun and then it's okay for me to decide the next day uh, yeah forget that like you know I want to shave my head on one side and I want to like <laughs> run with the boys be kind of who you are because you're still forming there's no reason we should say on any end of the extreme like you should look pretty and therefore you are worthy and we shouldn't also say why are you putting on lipstick what does that mean don't be one of those girls we need to allow freedom entire freedom so that people can arrive where they're supposed to be mm -hmm where they know they're meant to be from the beginning. And I think girls judging other girls for doing things like wearing makeup. Yeah. It's pretty toxic. Yeah, why do we do that? It's internalized misogyny. Absolutely. Think, because we have men tell us, oh, I don't like women who wear too much makeup. Mm -hmm. And we start to think, oh, I don't want to look like that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to spend all my time putting on a face that looks like I didn't put on a face, mm -hmm. but it's, it's just enough, mm -hmm. but it's not too much because we do this whole men-pleasing thing. Totally. And... And we're also then feeling like we're going to be judged by other women because mm -hmm. I think I think we internalize all those messages. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think the more you deprive a child of something, the more they're going to want it mm. and gravitate <laughs> towards it. So I think as a parent, one lesson I've learned is to have a real open field and sampling a little bit of everything is actually really healthy because then you arrive at that thing that intrinsically feels like you. And lately what I've been saying a lot, and it makes me giggle a little because it's kind of funny, um, is just you be you, how about you be you? You know, and we, I'll, we'll do that with my kids, just you be you. And that's what I want, that's what I want for you. 
And whatever that is, whatever the facets are that fall into place and layer the human being. Isn't there a pop song? Probably! Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I, I, think, I think you're right. <laughs> but a friend, a friend of mine brought that out one day and I was like, you know, it's amazing how these cliches really do come to light. And you're like, there's a reason. There's a reason we say them. Mm. Because they're true. Yeah. You know? It's, it's really true. Um, yeah, so when I think about parenting, I think about, you know, all the things you're saying about, you know, not caring about appearances, being able to allow your kids to you know, dress how they want to dress and not have to worry about being perfectionistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it does come down so much to personality when they're mm-hmm. doing something. As a, as a private teacher, I see some kids who seem like they're just so worried about making a mistake. Yeah. They're so worried. And I think some of that can be genetics. I think some kids naturally tend towards perfectionism. Mm-hmm. And other kids... Um, maybe do it to please because they're afraid of what might happen mm-hmm. if they make a mistake, especially mm-hmm. if they've had a toxic teacher or a toxic parent mm-hmm. who will shame them or embarrass yep. them for making a mistake. Um, but I'm curious what you see in your own kids, if, mm-hmm. if any of them seem more naturally perfectionistic or how do, you, how do you redirect and how do you help them to be okay with failure mm. and accepting that? I think I'm really figuring it out as I go. I think one of the problems that thwarts parents these days is that society is more focused on performance than process. Mm. And I've been thinking a lot about that. I really believe process is the joy. Process in life, which it makes sense. Like you have to enjoy the process in order to get the mastery or to have the moment, right? Where you feel that expression full force. And, um, there's such quick fixes to everything. I can see my kids looking on YouTube and there's all these performers that are, you know, out there doing their thing. And there's a lot of information thrown at kids these days. There's, you know, sports are way, way like intense, not like they used to be where you have to beat decide your sport at a young age. And so there's this idea that you have to achieve and perform and well then what about the fun? What about the process? What about the actual just like falling on your butt and then learning how to like kick it the way you want to kick it there's just too much emphasis on the end game versus the process so with my kids um yeah I I, I do see them crumble sometimes um especially a couple there's one in particular and um we have to do a lot of talk about um just about being in her body I mean there's just like a lot of mind body work that comes into play honestly to calm the nervous system to say don't look at everything else going on around you, and that's a good mm. lesson for life. Um, try not to be so stimulated and distracted by what she's doing and she's doing. And just focus on, again, on you. Focus on the moment. Focus on what it feels like when you're standing on that beam in your body. And pause it. Just pause the time. Because everything's moving so quickly, you know? Mm-hmm. And that is perfection. I mean, perfection is really feeling yourself in the moment. I love that. You know what I mean? Perfection is, and even if I were to apply it to a moment that actually you know about, um, perform. I'm not. I'm not some incredible performer, and I'm just being honest. This isn't like I'm not trying to um, put myself down. I really don't mean that. I actually am really proud of myself for trying. So I'm process. I'm process when it comes to music. 
But I know that when I say to myself, stand up there and feel your body, feel the guitar in your hands, feel that you, this expression of you, who's out there, have the moment and the pause, that is the mastery, that's the perfection. Mm. So do you do mindfulness, do you do meditation? How yeah, do you get there with I that? I think, I think we're, yeah, I'm kind of like discovering, um, discovering as I go. But for me, and I, I do work on this with my kids, it's breath work, right? It's um, not being scared by your body's intensity and sort of being able to sort of talk yourself off the ledge. It's maybe coming up with a mantra that feels like you, like I trust my heart or I trust, you know what I mean? When your head's going crazy, at least I trust my heart or grounding down. Um, yeah. And then also just being kind, back to kind, being mm -hmm. kind to yourself because um, if you, you can always put yourself in that position of what if that person over there was crying or having a hard time and, or looked like they were getting down on themselves? Mm -hmm. um, what would be your next move? Would be to be kind and say, give yourself a break. And if you can do that for somebody else, like you have to learn how to have that inner conversation mm -hmm. because you come first, really, you do. It's a hard thing for, it's a hard thing, you know, to get to, to um, implant sometimes, but once you get there, I think then the rest sort of trickles out. Well, and that's why I think it can be so hard to be a parent or a teacher because I think that there's a lot of stuff about perfectionism out there for women especially, um, mm -hmm. a lot of like surrounding bodies, and mm -hmm. I think that stuff's really important. Mm -hmm. I also want to be focusing on like what, what we're doing as women. Mm -hmm. But again, how we look can hold us back mm -hmm. from you know what we're doing if we feel like we have to tackle that first. Um, but I think the issue is so often that if you haven't worked on your own perfectionism and really learned to be happy with yourself, just like you're saying with kindness, if you can't be kind to yourself, mm -hmm. which perfectionism is, there's nothing kind about it. It's beating yourself up it is. for mm -hmm. being human, basically. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, if you have that, that feeling of, I need to be perfect, you're just going to be projecting that onto you know the kids in your in your mm -hmm. life I think absolutely so I think it's super important to address how we can um, work on our own perfectionism in order to not project it onto the people around us yeah totally. because we do so many things unknowingly that can be so toxic like for me I had you know my dad was a really perfectionist day piano teacher and it was like I practiced so hard and then I make one mistake and it was the end of the world you know mm -hmm. and so I really learned that Making mistakes is bad. Making mistakes mm, is shameful. So hard. And I think that he never figured out for himself, you know, his own issues with perfectionism and mm -hmm. with failure and with achievement. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I think that I love that, the, you know, working on yourself because mm -hmm. you do have to come first. But all of a sudden, when you have young people in your life, yeah. you feel like they, they come first. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, and I think as an artist, for you, you know, and I, and I am a creative too, um, it's the imperfection. The imperfection is where you find the beauty, right? So, mm -hmm. I mean, even, and I am not an intellectual around this, but even, if, look at jazz. I mean, jazz was taking... taking music out of the construct of of the classical compositions and so look at what was created out of that anytime you do a little record scratch 
or we're gonna go sideways here, usually something different and oftentimes better mm. occurs. That's what I love to do with my students um, where you know they'll make a mistake and they'll kind of look at me like, or they'll mm-hmm. tense up in their bodies and they'll become worried. And I'm like, actually, I thought that was really cool. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, that did, did you notice how that sounded different? That was interesting. Totally. You know, give that, it could be a jumping off board for exploration. Absolutely. And for curiosity rather than, yep. I didn't do the thing that was expected of me. Because those places that, those moments where you don't do what's expected of you, yeah, you, you maybe have some... You maybe have to break those expectations yeah. and do something totally new. Totally. The other thing is, I think, and just thinking about the wildling kids that come in our door, um, I think that you see humanity come together around imperfection. Mm. Because everyone understands the awkwardness and the fears and um, the fumbling around imperfection. Every human being knows what that's like. Yeah. And every human being knows what it's like to feel alone in that. And so when you can bear that vulnerability, yeah. when you are willing to get up and fumble, and somebody else sees that by osmosis, you are connecting to them. Mm. And sometimes you're saving lives with that kind of, I'm not saying with wilding in particular, but in moments where somebody is bearing something imperfect to you, Um, Whether you share it back with them or not, sometimes that informs something inside of you that clicks in and says, thank God. Thank God that person also has that issue. Thank God that person, you know. Um, And you hear that time and again that often a reckoning moment is because of observing, witnessing something in somebody else and that moment of humanity that brought you together, whether Mm -hmm. you knew that person or not. And so what I see in the kids when they get up and speak and they try things out and they don't have it all perfect or finished, um, and then they get through it, okay? Because they get up to the mic and they're nervous and these are not actors, these are just human beings who are at an awkward stage of life. And they try something out and their peers are listening to them. They're not laughing at them, they're not mocking. They're giving them the space to try out a piece of who they are. And then they, okay, they did that and they kind of pop, and you can almost see how they're like, I, I okay okay I didn't die like I'm still here I'm okay <laughs> and 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 I can continue this you know what I mean mm-hmm. there's like a muscle building it's like it, it starts to build some strength inside of you yeah because you're being seen for your imperfection and you're glorious in that yeah. like that's perfect you know yeah and I think that's amazing I I know there's a book called grit I'm trying to remember the author's name I'm sure I'll mm-hmm. put it in there later but it talks about having to get through challenges, things that really, you know, things that almost maybe you don't want to face. But when you overcome those challenges, which for kids getting up on stage yeah. and sharing their personal vulnerable stories, yeah. I've seen kids with thing with kids, you know, trying to get on stage to sing or play piano in front of people. They're terrified. Yeah. And you have to tell them, like, the world won't end, mm-hmm. you know, when, when this happens. But being able to overcome that helps them with so many other aspects of their life. And... In being brave, I think mm-hmm. you know it's being scared and doing it anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want I want you to tell us and the listeners yeah. um, about the, about wildling. Is it the wildling or it's wildling? The wildling. The wildling. Can you mm-hmm. tell us about it? So the wildling was an idea that tapped me on the shoulder, and it wasn't 
it just was not premeditated. And um, as a writer for a long time, I, which I've always loved, I'll always be a writer. Um, there's a beginning and an end to a story. There's an arc. There's a process. I love the process. This animal just came in and surprised me because it was something I um, that I would have to invent. <laughs> <laughs> which is a fun, which is a fun thing, a fun exercise, but it's different. There is no end game. I don't know where it's headed, but I know that it is needed. And, um, and that is this, the wildling is alive. Um, storytelling, we call it truth bombing, um, moment in a middle schooler's life where they, they get to share something about who they are or a point of view and um, they get to feel the power of being heard. And I do think that society has lost the, the ability to really deeply listen. I think this is something we need to go back to and um, hone, and it's an important skill. And then I think sharing a bit about who you are and realizing that your story has meaning, that your story matters, that you are generating stories as you live your life yeah. is a gift that continues on no matter who you become what you do whether you become a writer whether you become a parent um, a lobbyist somebody who just gives a great toast at a wedding to feel in your body just the you-ness and to be able to articulate something and to feel the power of your voice resonate out and to have people receive it there's a powerful imprint that a person gets, and it and it is um, it has a lasting effect on identity, self love, and storytelling for that matter. Yeah. So that's what we're doing. We're working with groups of kids, who um, I mean, you know, their parents sign them up. The kids are interested too, and they story jam. We call it story jamming. It is like a cousin to musicianship because you're trying out your material in front of the mic. And seeing where it goes. That's really cool. And what ages? It is fifth to eighth grade. Okay. And we are trying not to replicate peer groups because we find that, um, and human beings are like this too, you can often be more brave when you're in and around people who don't know you. And so getting out of some of the Lord of the Flies dynamics that can happen in middle school is really helpful in getting kids to express out loud. Mm -hmm. um, and also helps them form a bond with kids they might not otherwise. Um, you remember, everyone remembers their middle school selves. If you were to interview a, a large swath of the population and you said, of adults, and you said, if you could go back in time and talk to your blank age self, what, what age would you go back to? And I would bet you that the majority would say around 13 or 14 years old. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because that's where you're sort of set on a path, that next path, right? Mm -hmm. And um, a lot happens, a lot happens at that age that can really, can really uh, mess you up or turn you this way, that way. Yeah. Yeah. And you had experience when you were, you said it's seventh grade, was it? I had a tough seventh grade year. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't really deal with it. Um, and I don't think I even knew to deal with it until I was a mom. And I was in a therapy session, and I don't even remember how it came out. 
but it definitely tied to something I was stuck with, some emotion. And it just was like this eye-opening moment where you like the box you had shut down and locked with a key and thrown into the lake. Mm. You're like, oh boy, this box is opening. This was a really, really hard year for me. And it probably informed a lot about trust and, um, and other emotional things like, that were getting in my way. Um, and, and my story with that is that socially, um, I, I felt I, I became an outsider that year. And I really quieted down and I just kind of lost who I was and I don't know all the specifics because I think when you have a traumatic moment in your life oftentimes you filter out or it's hard to really remember the the order of things mm-hmm. but um, but yeah I switched schools and um, that was what I needed I needed a new a new opportunity to like form identity because you had mentioned that when you were at that age, you didn't feel like you really had a voice. Like, I remember you saying you had, and you felt like you had all these people telling you mm. what to do, or trying to kind of inform your life. Maybe you mm. didn't feel that you had the voice or the platform or the agency that you want to have as a human. Yeah. And maybe is that part of the reason that you want to give that to people? Yeah, I don't know so much that I I didn't feel like there were voices telling me um, how to be or what to be. I think I had my own inner critic Mm. that was getting in my way. And that voice was so loud and the feelings of that age and the social dynamics at play that I kind of got lost in the chaos, in the noise, and just kind of... Yeah, didn't feel I didn't feel the agency to um, to be brave or say what I maybe needed to say. Luckily, I had parents who listened to me when I said I need to switch schools. It's time, and they heard me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think there are a lot of kids, and honestly, I think it goes for all the kids in the social hierarchy. Whether you're the queen bee, the follower, the outcast, um, they're all in a little bit of pain at that time. Um, I do I do think so. I think the majority are. And if you can help a kid step out of their position, you know, or their where they're boxed in. Because I think, I remember that feeling of being boxed in, you know, labeled or the way kids label each other. They do it because it's a human, it's human nature to say, well, she's like this and she's like that and not see beneath the surface. Yeah. And kids tend to have a narcissistic tendency. You're like, I'm watching out for me, you know? Right. If you allow them to hear what's beneath the surface um, with somebody else, what that can do is what we were talking about earlier, that trigger of, oh, yeah, I connect to you. I wouldn't think that I would, but I do. And what that does is it starts to tie together a little community Mm. of people who are able to listen and connect don't you think we need more of that out in the world? I love that. I love making it about connection because I feel like the more connected people are, the more they feel they can be open about who they are. Yeah. And I think perfectionism thrives in isolation. Mm-hmm. When you feel, mm. I'm alone in this. And this is, and, and really any, I think, mental health issue or struggle is the feeling of being alone, I think, yeah. is what probably perpetuates those problems the most and mm-hmm. as soon as you feel like oh 
this other person just like me. Yeah. Oh, I'm not the only one. Yeah. Um, then all of a sudden, you those those, especially perfectionistic tendencies, the, the critic that tells you, you know, you're not good enough or whatever, and this is such a problem. You know, it starts to kind of crumble mm-hmm. when it doesn't have a place to stand. As soon as you're like, you, as soon as you tell a person, you're like, yep, this is my issue. Yeah. And perfectionism is like, oh, true. shit. You yes. Know? Yes. <laughs> yes. Because, so true. because you're like, oh, you're not allowed to. Yeah, that's shame, right? That exactly. keeps you from, from speaking up. Mm-hmm. And I think the more we talk about anything, the shame starts to get thrown off. And all of a sudden, we can start to realize and maybe integrate that and say, oh, this is how I feel. This is okay. Totally. And other people feel that way too. Exactly. You know, I just want to share this, and it doesn't, you don't have to include it, but <laughs> it's an interesting thing to walk the earth and not. I think we're fascinated by the way other people see us, but we can't possibly know, right? We can only know what we're doing. And, you know, mirrors exist for this reason. Like, who am I? You know, have you ever been in a car and you kind of see yourself and you're like, oh, okay. And my um, makeup looks better at home than it does in the car mirror every time. Yes. The car mirror is way yes. too revealing. <laughs> but when you, when you give, when you have that moment where somebody gives you a, a glimpse of who you are, that you're not able to fully gauge because you're not outside of yourself. And it's a moment of recognition. It is the best gift. And I had that happen to me. I've had that happen in life. But this one time I had somebody I went to high school with who I wasn't close to, but I did appreciate or, you know, a nice person who I reconnected with over coffee. And she, um, she said, I really wanted to tell you that you were so kind to me in in high school. And she, her eyes welled up, and, and I, I knew that she was giving me a gift as she was saying it. Um, she said I struggled. She shared some struggles she was, had been having in those years, and she said just knowing that you were kind to me and the couple other people, it helped me. It was like a life raft. Mm. And... Um, and you know, it didn't. You know, we had our nice coffee, and I thanked her so much, and and it was nice to connect with her. But really, the takeaway was, um, thank you for seeing me, and then, and vice versa, right? I saw her, she saw me, and like that moment, those moments, like those are those are the beautiful, those are the beautiful. I might have felt imperfect at the time, you know, I might have felt this or that, but really, the expression of you, the kindness that emanates. And when somebody can show you that in a listening or receive, you know, that mm. sort of dynamic, it can be really powerful. And the being able to receive it isn't always easy mm-hmm. too. That's that's a struggle. Yeah, totally. For a lot of people, totally. It, you know, I think you have to be a kind person to be able to receive kindness. Yeah. You have to be kind to yourself first. Yeah, absolutely. Or someone else can be kind to you. And I know a lot of people would. You know, they make excuses when they get compliments or, oh, that's... I know. know it's, it's hard. We all do it. Yeah. We learn, like, I'm not supposed to... Yeah. Like, just yeah. take it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that was neither here, here nor there. I was just thinking about it. No, that's really amazing. Yeah. And it's important to see how other people see you. If you get too mm-hmm. caught up with how you see yourself or how you think other people see you... Yeah, totally. You're always going to be living out of insecurity. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
Yeah, which I think I would love to get back to like your program and yeah. working with kids and letting yeah. them share their voices. Yeah. Um, I'm curious with the whole story jam. So they write the stories. So, so they get to decide how they want the stories to come out. I love that. Mm. Because first of all, you don't have um, a democratic... Um, it, okay, let me back up. <laughs> um, you know, there are a lot of people that can't access enrichment um, because they can't afford to, let's just be honest. Mm. So all these lessons and things that are layered on that are more, you know, in, in the arena of privilege and sometimes, you know, underprivileged people have access to it. But um, a lot of a lot of the art, arts, sports, these other extracurriculars, all that hyper, you know, layering on um, isn't accessible to most. But what is accessible to most people is their voice, is the opportunity to share something about who they are. So that's partly what I love about what we do. It's kind of like the track and field of sports. Like you need a pair of sneakers, you can run. A lot of, most people can do that. Okay, you need to have a voice, go. And so what I like is there's nothing you have to be good at before you enter our program. Um, you can have a learning disability and have struggle with writing. You can still extract a story out of, mm. out of your voice, right? Um, there are all kinds of ways that we have and tools and tricks to help these kids get something out. You can list, you can doodle. Some kids are better visually. Some are, you know. So I really think we can take all kids, frankly. Like, mm -hmm. that feels good. You can't just say, here, join the orchestra. The kid has to have some experience. There's got to be a music, and an, an instrument. instrument. Which can be there has weird. to be private lessons, usually, you know. But um, here's a microphone and you. Okay. That's pretty scary. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> it's scary, but you've got, that. you've lived how long? You've lived 10 plus years. Let's look at some moments that have been delightful mm -hmm. or um, vulnerable or scary. Let's think about something that matters to you. You know, kids often talk about like, earth like things like water matter their pets matter um there you know they do they have opinions you know yeah. bullying um and we prompt them through exercises that get them juiced up you know um questions most embarrassing moment like you know things about friendship and those questions when answered often lead into stories and so when it comes time for them to form something they want to say out loud the real overarching question is, what do you want to say? And you'd be amazed at the variety that comes out of kids. Mm -hmm. Some kids just really want to do something funny. They just want to hear and feel what it's like to, to speak out loud and be heard. And some kids have something really intense that to get that out and to have a population really respect what they have to say is meaningful on a, on a deeper level. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've had a girl talk about her brother's struggle with cancer, and we've had um, kids talk about race. Um, so we've really run the gamut between really serious topics and lighter. And sometimes these kids literally just, like, improv it out and maybe just create a list of, of things that help them remember. And some kids sit down and write the whole story um, and some kids speak to type, so we tape them, so if they have struggles with writing. Mm -hmm. We don't want it to feel like school, because school, you get a grade. You don't get a grade with this. And that's what I was curious, if there's any type of feedback. And it sounds like it's just like, whatever you want to say, mm -hmm. you say that. 
I, I I've never heard of any other program yeah. that <laughs> does that. that. It's not like, and that's one of my issues. Is yet we, we are in such an achievement based culture. Yeah. yeah. That you know, parents put their kids in activities where they're, they're like, oh well, they they seem like they're, you know, thriving in this, or you know, maybe they're mm-hmm. ahead of their peer group. We're gonna keep them in this because they mm-hmm. seem like they are ahead of the curve. You know, we're so mm-hmm. focused on having our kids be good at stuff. Right. But what activities can they yeah. do that are non-competitive, that, yeah. that are focused purely on expression? Totally. Even music. I teach music, and it's like, well, I want you to be able to get to the point of pure expression, but I never I never have thought about you know, teaching music in a way where there's absolutely no right or wrong. Because you, mm-hmm. you need a few fundamentals to you be do. able to... You, you do. Know, you do. Make your voice yeah. sound how you want it or you know learn a few notes on the piano so you can create a song um but i just love that there is no really it sounds like there's no right or wrong you're not kind of teaching them how to tell a story or teaching them how to write yeah not so much i i we do create um we do have tools and tricks and conversations and like um warm up to crafting something meaningful but where they go with it is up to them so you know we play along with like what are great first lines and last lines how can a story shape itself what are the options but the truth is having been a writer most of my life really stories can take such circuitous routes Mm. and so there isn't as much as you can try to hem in you start with the beginning and then you reach the you know the narrative has to have an aha moment and then I, I don't write that way. I don't yeah. do you, Rochelle? I mean, I don't write that way really. So well, I like, like from to, beginning to end. I, I I I write something that ends, but the end isn't necessarily a surprise or a kicker and there isn't always a protagonist who learns a lesson. I don't write that way and therefore I feel I feel that it really and truly is a landscape that we can populate with all different styles, you know? 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what's cool. I definitely don't yeah. write that way. I, by the way, I will, so I have a song about sunsets that's just literally the whole one and a half minutes, it's incredibly short, is just, you know, about being in that moment of what yeah. it feels like to be in that moment in your body when you're yeah. viewing, this, viewing this beautiful thing. And yeah, for sure, I'll write like a bit of something that I like and maybe it's, you know a couple of lines and then I'm trying to figure out how to piece everything around that. Yep. Songs have kind of a different thing. You're not always telling a story. Yep. But I think with the story jam, it, it is more more story focused. Mm-hmm. Does it ever get kind of beyond that into more like being in the moment or You mean like more the yeah, explain being in the moment. You mean where it just cause kind of comes out of nowhere, like where it's not planned? Because you were talking about like the mind-body connection. Yeah. And yeah. If, I'm curious. That'd be an interesting thing to explore. I like, would be an interesting thing to explore. How does your body feel in this moment? Yes. And yes. digging into the actual sensations that kids totally. can feel. Totally. We do have mindfulness worked into the curriculum. And um, and our exercises are things you know that involve like breathing out fear, breathing in confidence, um, visualizing. Ooh, I love that. Breathing yeah. out fear. Yeah, we use a breathing bomb. Yeah. How do yeah. you do that? What's a breathing? The breathing bomb. It's this really fun um, toy that you can get at like Creative Kids Up or order online. I don't know, but it expands out. It's a ball that expands out and then contracts. And so you can show the kids visually, which does help. Like 
we're gonna breathe out fear in the ball. It goes like this, and we're gonna breathe in confidence. Where do you, so you get kind one? Of I want one. I know. I'll show you. I'll, I'll send you a link. Um, we do something the kids love called a power pose. Have you ever done a power pose? No. Oh, oh, like where you make your body bigger, yeah. right? So there's all this research that suggests that if you hold your body in a pose that feels commanding and powerful for, I think they say, one minute plus, um, it really does, um, it, it does, I keep saying the word imprint, hello, imprint, imprint. No, but it, it does um, something to you. It yeah. does make you feel more commanding of your body. And so some kids will do a superhero pose and some will put their arms out, which I tend to do. And then I'm like, ooh, this is a lot of my muscles. Ha, it feels like a workout. <laughs> but the power pose, when they're all doing it together, it's kind of silly, but then they all kind of get into it and then they're like holding it for a while. And then you do feel a little different. You do kind of yeah. like bear down a little bit. Um, we have an, another thing that a kid taught me that I thought was so brilliant was in order, some kids want to lose the notes. Some kids do continue to work on their pieces and their pieces start to really shape into something very composed, mm. okay? And some kids don't. And that's what's fun is to watch the tension of the two. But when um, we have a, a girl we're working with who has a beautiful spoken word piece and she's been working on it and when that's her style. She just wants to get it down, 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 down. Not perfectionistic, but just... Um, She's been polishing it a lot. And Maybe how can it make it the most powerful? Yeah, it can be. absolutely. And um, she puts a blank note card in her back pocket when she gets up to the mic. This is what I learned. And um, she said it just feels like a safety net. She doesn't really need the words anymore. She's got them into memory. But because she feels nervous that she might forget, she puts the blank note card in her back pocket. And we now say to her, I got this in my back pocket, meaning it's just a reminder that she's got this. You know, you but got this. But the note card is blank, so I she needs know, the words. I know, it's a placebo effect. <laughs> and that's just beautiful. She doesn't really need the note cards, you know? The note card is just a reminder of, you got it. It's just a, you know, it's like when people wear, people put tattoos on for this reason, or you mm. wear a bracelet, or something that just is a reminder to you that, that brings it back home, you know? Yep. I know that I, I've got this. It's self-talk. It's like saying, you know, mm -hmm. girl, you know, you got it. Keep going. So do you do that yourself for anything? I'm trying to think of if I do that myself. Um, I have a mantra that came out of nowhere when I was struggling with something years back. And um, I've just always said to myself, I trust my heart. I trust my heart. Because I do think when you're creative and have a big imagination, your head can really run wild. And that can be good but it can be the opposite of grounding. So when I feel like I'm floating up, I just I trust my heart, my heart grounds me. And so that for me is my, just words do that for me. Um, yeah. That's so cool. Oh, thanks. And I'm curious, you are a writer, mm -hmm. um, both with you know written pieces, with songs. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, how do you, confront perfectionism in the creative process. I mean, you sound so like grounded <laughs> and I trust my heart. Like, and do you even have, do you even struggle at all with feeling with those ideas, the inner critic of like, Absolutely. this isn't good enough, like, or, you know. Well, whatever. maybe the I'm... reason I sound so chill is because I've had to do so much work on myself, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? It takes yeah. work to get to that point and it takes practice. 
frankly, mm-hmm. as, as annoying as the word practices, practice can be your best friend because practicing kindness, practicing um, the mantras, practicing the, the mind-body work, practicing the intentions, that's what's, what gets it into your system, right? I used to have the worst inner critic. Are you kidding me? I was like Alex P. Keaton. You probably are too young to know family ties. But I was like, <laughs> you know, in school, I was like, I got to get an A. I got to get, you know, I had to quiet that voice. That voice is like, I, I know you're there, but you're you're going to bed. See you later. Or you're in detention. You know what I mean? The, the grounding voice is something I've practiced into myself. And when I write, um, I love the process. That's what I've learned. I love the process of writing. And if I love the process of writing, then I'm going to write. And then if I just go with that, if I go with that flow, what comes out of me is just better. It just is. It's better than when I'm like looking at a page and it's got to be this good and here's the... And frankly, you know, if you identify with the artistry, that's, that's the biggest part. I mean, whether you get published or not, you're going to get rejected left and right in this world. Like send a story here, send a story there. Mm-hmm. Um, you do have to develop this thick skin and you have to just know, this is good, this was good for me. Yeah, right? and to not be so worried about the end product. Yeah. Um, I read The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. Yeah. And <clears throat> totally shook me to my core about how I feel about the creative process. And one of the things that she talks about is the the inner artist child mm-hmm. and that little kid mm, yeah. which is just like you know this four-year-old you give them a box of crayons yeah and just say color you know you don't say you can only you know you can only make this thing or it has to be good enough so that we can sell it to a museum mm-hmm. or <laughs> no, you don't totally. put any kind of standard on it you just say here, have fun. And that, I mean, I think is the totally. ultimate, like, enjoying the process. Totally. Right? What totally. kid doesn't love to color? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. There is a piece to being an artist that has to also hold an accountability. And the word accountability, accountability sounds so like, okay, kind of sit up straight. And <laughs> it sounds like it's in the same family as perfectionism, but it isn't. Mm. It's total respect. And it's also bearing witness. And as a writer, I will say this. For years, my whole life, I journaled and journaled and journaled. It was probably one thing that led me into just being a professional writer. Mm -hmm. Um, And then at a certain point, I was like, you know, I'm kind of tired of just hearing a lot of my mushy-gushy feelings. I kind of sort of like, I've got to put that away for a little bit. I'm not going to do that as much. I was ready for accountability. I was ready to write to an audience. I was ready to see the reception of what I was putting out. And I'm sure musicians feel this way too. There's just a time where you're like, I just got to try this material out. Mm-hmm. I got to like feel it out in the universe and see what comes back to me. And so as a writer, I do that a lot and it is imperfect. And I do it a lot in a form of media that a lot of people poo-poo. And this is where I see the benefit. On social media, if I'm just living my life and a story comes out of me, I will often, maybe once a month or so, I will write a poem out on Instagram or something like that and for accountability's sake, I will just psh, because it's good. It's good to put your imperfection, but something beautiful from yourself, and maybe something that makes you laugh a little, and maybe something you go, "Oh God, did I just do that?" <laughs> and just sort of see the effects, the reverberations. Yeah. You know, I don't do that with like something really stupid, like you know that I'm trying to think. Um, 
you know, there have been times where I'm like, this is a really, I'm just feeling sad for myself. No, no, no. But something where I'm like, I'm playing with this. I need to see where this goes. I feel like the the reception piece, that witness, Mm -hmm. is important for the artistry. Well, it helps you work hard. It helps you finesse it or not striving for perfection. It helps you get further. Yeah, that's a concept I I really never thought about or Mm -hmm. been introduced to. That's super fascinating. Why not? Why not just like put it out there, see what comes back, and then the next revision. I love to revise. So the revision. Mm. So accountability, it's the accountability of having reception, of having other people actually Receive it. it. Yeah, to see what the receiving is. Because you have to have, there's a tension, right? Your audience is causing the tension. Mm. Um, When a kid gets up to the mic, if it was just the kid in the mic in a quiet room, doesn't have the same impact as seeing the tension and the response of the people, the supportive audience, um, hear it, listen to it, perhaps kind of give you that feedback as to what you're saying and what part of it resonates. Um, I, you know, frankly, accountability matters in the political world because if you think about it, there's a lot of people that just spout out a lot of things and they they don't hold themselves accountable for what they're what they're putting out and they're not really listening and there's no reciprocation mm-hmm. and I I think that is um, tragic yeah. I think it is tragic that there are a lot of people that just spew and spew and just do not receive um, so there has to be that's connection that yeah. it's back and forth and I think it's so important to realize I can just put this this thing out into the world. It's totally unfinished. It's a thought that mm-hmm. I had, um, but it feels like something beautiful or something that you want to share, something mm-hmm. that feels important, mm-hmm. um, and not worry so much about the reception totally. too. Because, I mean, how often do you think we're held back just because we're so worried about what will yeah. people think? Right. I'm just trying it out. Uh, this is my first podcast episode ever. Like, <laughs> I'm so glad. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, but, neither do I. But it feels right, and I feel like it's it's something that should be in the world, and I want Recu Perfection to be in the world. You know, yeah. I don't know what it is yet, but I think we're so often held back from starting anything at all because we, again, care too much maybe what people think. Yep. Or... You know, just what's out there. It's just like with your story, Jam. It's like if you have something to share, share it. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? You know, and yeah. because and actually, if it is imperfect and if it is messy, it's gonna be received even better because everybody else just wants to know. Like, yeah. oh, you're human too. Totally. <laughs> you're feeling the things I'm feeling. We're all totally in this together. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're kind of coming to an end here. Yeah. And I feel like we could just talk for so many hours. I'm fascinated by this conversation. And just thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Rochelle, for having me. It was a really wonderful conversation. Well, that was such a fun interview with Megan. If you want to find out more about her organization, check out thewildling.org. And hopefully we will see you guys back here for the next episode. Be well, fail big, and go wreck your perfection.